Hey folks, Duncan Kinney here to say that the Progress Report is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. A podcast on the network that I want to highlight is the latest from the Forgotten Corner. Hosts Jeremy Appel, Scott Schmidt, and Robert Alexier are joined by author Tyler Shipley to discuss both his new book, which is on my nightstand and I'm going to start reading soon, called Canada in the World, but also the Ottawa Occupation and a bunch of other great stuff. You should really listen to it. It's a fantastic pod. Now, on to the show. Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney, recording today here in Amiskwichiwa Skygan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory on the banks of the Kasiskasawanasipi, or the North Saskatchewan River. Joining us today is Luke Lebrun, editor of Press Progress, an organization uh, that Progress Alberta and the Progress Report are frequently uh, mistaken for. But just to be clear, we are in fact two separate organizations uh, just so everyone knows. But Luke, that does not stop you from getting hate mail about me. Is that correct? That is correct, Duncan. I uh, frequently get emails uh, directed to you, uh, letting me know how much uh, how much some people really don't uh, like your podcast. It's great. It's it's actually um, really good because like I don't get those emails and you get them. Um, so, but please send them my way. I, I do uh, uh, perversely like like knowing what the haters think. So. To be honest, I think I get more criticism directed at you than actually directed at me. <laughs> well, you got to love Alberta. So, Luke, the reason why we're having you on the podcast is because you are like literally in Ottawa right now. You are you are our boots on the ground. You are our man on the street. You are your our eyeball witness to what has been going on in Ottawa for the past going on three weeks, three weeks going on four weeks now. Just about fourth. Uh, we're going into the fourth weekend. And, you know, I've been following your Twitter account with great interest. And, you know, before we get started, I do want to place us in the context of what we're recording. We're recording this here. It's like 10.08 uh, Mountain Standard Time on Friday morning. Like right now, police are in the middle of their operation to like arrest and clear and tow out people in Ottawa. So like, you know, we're, we just be mindful of that when you're listening to this, that something horrible may have happened. We have not heard about anything horrible being happened yet, but like just FYI. But the reason again, why I wanted to bring you on is, is to really kind of provide a sense of scale to what's been going on in Ottawa. You know, a lot of essentially the, the big journalistic mainstream journalism outlets have really been focusing on like what's on the Hill and like a handful of, of kind of like notable places, but can you give us a sense of like the size and scope of the kind of convoy occupation, you know, from someone who's like living through it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing is that uh, most of the images that I think people are seeing on TV, I mean, like 90% of the images are basically of Wellington street right in front of uh, Parliament Hill. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Obviously, you know, it makes for the most dramatic image. It's also kind of the focal point of uh, where a lot of the protesters are, um, you know, they have a stage set up there and, and what have you. Um, but, and then the other thing is just that all of the media outlets tend to have their offices within about a block radius of, of this uh, this location. So, you know, on TV, you're seeing predominantly uh, images of this like one or two block kind of stretch in downtown Ottawa right in front of parliament. But in reality, you know, like, so downtown Ottawa, just to give people a sense of, you know, the actual layout um, and please like go on Google maps and just like, look at this. It'll probably make more sense, but like downtown Ottawa, uh, like the actual urban area of it is like a 20 by 20, give or take block kind of uh, area. Uh, you know, on the North, it's the Ottawa, the Ottawa river on the East. It's the uh, Rideau canal on the South. It's uh the Queensway basically. Um, and so of that area, like basically there's like a 10 by 10 block um, kind of, you know, downtown core with like office towers is what you would think of when you think of downtown. Um, and that entire area is, has been occupied by pickup, uh, not pickup trucks, but large kind of like big rig uh, type trucks. Right. And, and are they just on the sidewalk? Are they in the middle of the street? They're like, right in the middle they... of the street. They've been, you know, they idle 24 uh, seven. The drivers sleep in their, 
in their in their trucks um for the first couple of weeks they were blaring their horns like at all hours of the day and night um and yeah and i mean this is basically i mean with some exceptions there's a couple of streets that police have managed to keep open just for like emergency vehicles and what have you but there's basically like a giant 10 by 10 block kind of area uh that's just like you know trucks everywhere uh with them you know they're blowing diesel uh diesel fumes into people's bedroom windows and what have you um so that's kind of like the the occupation zone if you will and then beyond that and this is kind of like one of the weirder things is that the surrounding neighborhoods the surrounding residential neighborhoods um, there's a lot of, uh, smaller pickup trucks, um, you know, cars and whatever. And they're driving around with these like, um, flagpoles with like Canadian flags off them. A bunch of them also have flags that say fuck Trudeau. Um, and you know, so like during the day, they kind of just like drive around hectoring people. This is where people are getting, uh, harassed by just random, uh, you know, people in uh, random pickup trucks. Like they'll see people wearing masks and they'll just start, you know, yelling at them or threatening them or whatever. Um, and then at night, I mean, there's people sleeping on residential streets in their, in their cars and vehicles. Um, and it's pretty wild. Like, I don't think people are seeing that part of the, uh, that part of this occupation. And, uh, I mean, for myself, I've been going out at night and trying to, you know, take little videos, just showing people what, uh, the scene is like in different, uh, neighborhoods around the city. Yeah, you've been going out at night and kind of scoping out the occupation. One of the things you found on one of these walks was that, like, the baseball stadium parking lot had essentially become, uh, like, a de facto, like, supply headquarters for the occupation. What, what, what's been going on there? And is that yeah. still uh, open and still operating? Yeah, so, I mean, that's another weird thing. Uh, I mean, I'll take a step back before I get to the baseball stadium, but they have... Um... Okay, so like another thing that's just really weird about this whole occupation is they have a very elaborate um, kind of organization and like they've got supply lines like these people, uh, they have food being brought in to them. They've got barbecues and stuff. They're basically, you know, they have tents set up with uh, where they're distributing food and, and what have you. Um, and all of this is supported by these logistics camps that they've set up at different places in the in the city and around the region. Um, one of them was set up at, um, Confederation Park in downtown Ottawa. This is like two blocks away from Parliament Hill. It's right across the the street from city hall. Um, and so, yeah, they, they started building like wooden structures. They had like a bunch of RVs there. There was like a, uh, there's like fires in, uh, oil drums and, uh, it looked very, uh, you know, had kind of like a Mad Max sort of feel to it. Um, anyways, that eventually got torn down. There was another, and and then, so then there's like this other logistics camp. It is, um, you know, it's a fair distance away. It's hard to describe actually. It's, um, probably about like a five minute drive from downtown Ottawa and it's located at the Ottawa baseball stadium, which is owned by the, uh, city. So, uh, you know, years ago, Ottawa used to be the, uh, home to the farm team for the Montreal Expos, the Ottawa Lynx. Uh, R.I.P. Expos. R.I.P. Expos. And, um, you know, so we, we, anyways, Ottawa has like a fairly large, you know, baseball stadium, probably fits like five to 10,000 people or so. And um, for whatever reason, Ottawa police decided to tell the, um, tell the convoy that they could go to, well, they, first of all, they told them they could go to a whole bunch of different places around the city and use it as like parking lots. But what ended up happening, <laughs> they're like, like we, we just go here, you know, we, we don't like you being here. Uh, so could you go somewhere else, please? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, for the first, the first couple of days of it, I mean, I think Ottawa police treat it like they were doing traffic, uh, you know, for event, for a big event. Um, so they directed them to a couple of different places. One place was down by the war museum in the, uh, West side of the downtown. Then this, the, the other place that they sent them to was, uh, the baseball stadium. Uh, so I, I guess police thought that they were just going to, you know, relieve some of the congestion downtown by sending trucks to park there. Uh, what ended up happening instead was they fortified the area, built this really elaborate base. Um, you know, there's, uh, oh my God, there's like probably a hundred vehicles or so. Like, I mean, like big trucks as well as, uh, you know, RVs and a whole bunch of things. They've got, uh, tents set up. Um, they've got... They've yeah. got walls, they've got palisades, they've got cannons. Yeah, exactly. Not, not, that's not true, of course. <laughs> no, but they've taken like grocery store skids, right? Like those wooden skids and they've like built this kind of wooden like fence around the around the uh, perimeter. 
Um, there's a boat there for some reason. There's um, <laughs> they've got a navy. <laughs> yeah, they've got this boat. Um, they have uh, they've got like two saunas. They had like a hot tub. Um, I went down there and I, I started scoping it out, and uh, I actually got confronted by some of them. Um, kind of hilariously, they actually thought I was like an undercover cop and started questioning me. And then, uh, I guess I, I gained their trust and they believed me that I wasn't a cop, but, um, they told me that, uh, they received like a whole bunch of food. They claimed that they had like three months worth of food or something like this. And it was given to them by some wealthy Ottawa landowner whose name they didn't know, but they just knew that he like sent them a whole bunch of food. So they were like stocked up for, for about three months. Um, yeah, so that's like another, another part of this, uh, this whole thing, which just makes it so strange. Um, I, I, the other thing too, is there are quite a few people who are pretty senior in the, uh, in the leadership of the convoy who have former, uh, military or RCMP training and, um, or like backgrounds in, in the military or the RCMP. And uh, I mean, not to overstate it, I don't think these people are, you know, military geniuses or, you know, strategic geniuses by any means, but you can sort of tell that they, when they approach a problem, they kind of look at it through that lens. So that's why they're, I, that's in my sense, in my opinion, that's why they're probably, you know, setting up supply lines and base camps and, and what, what have you. No, and your point about the the police being embedded, former police, current police, former soldiers, current soldiers being embedded within this convoy occupation is uh, an important point. And per, and one of the reasons when we look back at this, uh, at, at, you know, the public inquiry that's going to happen is like, okay, so uh, you didn't touch them for three weeks. And like, I think that's going to be one of the factors that comes up, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, you, you know, when I look at it, I mean, I think the first mistake they made, um, as I kind of mentioned earlier, was, you know, when they showed up, they sort of treated it like they were just doing, you know, event traffic control kind of thing. Um and then they, you know, they let the, they let a whole bunch of trucks just drive right down Wellington street, park next to the PMO, uh, park right across from the house of commons and, you know, that whole area. And then once they let them in, they just never left. And I, I mean, I assume that the police thought that after one day, maybe two days, they would just all, you know, go home after the weekend, but, uh, <laughs> they ended up staying for three to, uh, four weeks. So uh, some of the other reporting you've been doing, which has been really interesting, is these um, these other base camps. These uh, there's at least one that's outside of Ottawa, which extremes seems to be incredibly uh, well resourced. Uh, where is this located? W- what are we talking about resource wise, and, and what happened when you uh, reached out to confirm that uh, to the uh, landowner that like he was uh, hosting essentially a forward operating base of the convoy occupation people? Yeah. So outside of Ottawa. Um... There's uh, it's, it's a, an area called Russell Township, and uh, there's a town called Embrun, and it's a uh, primarily a actually it's, so Russell is a town, and then right next to it is Embrun. Russell's kind of more of an Anglophone place, and uh, Embrun's Francophone. Um, anyways, if you drive about thirty minutes down the um, four seventeen, you'll drive past the giant Amazon warehouse that recently was built, and then the next exit uh, is a place called Vars, and then as soon as you get off the first thing that struck me when I drove there was that when you get off the off ramp um, they've actually put up their own road signs directing people to the, to the base camp. Like this is not like something hiding out. Like they've actually put up their own kind of like alternate road uh, road sign system just to to direct people to the, to the place. Um, Anyways. Yeah. So it's located in this farm field about five kilometers South of the 417 uh, right outside Embrun. Um, again, there, when I went, it was on a Sunday, um, about Sunday midday and, uh, there were about 50 vehicles there, but I've seen videos where at night it balloons up to, you know, a hundred or so. It might be even larger than that at some points. Um, yeah, they've got tents, they've got, um, RVs, they've got those, um, you know, the, you know, those like kind of mobile construction site offices yeah Yeah, the trailers yeah Yeah. exactly they've got all that stuff uh it's loaded with food it's loaded with fuel it's got all kinds of all kinds of things um it's really strange actually the other thing too is uh when i drove there i actually found like additional sites which were i mean they've got like porta potties it looked like basically a bunch of rvs boondocking in the middle of uh empty lots just in these rural areas um and yeah and it's very strange and i i actually so i i 
first I, I just heard about this base camp. So I decided to go out there and check it out. And then my next question was just, you know, how is this thing able to exist out here? Um, so then I started reaching out to the, you know, local government and the RCMP, deta- or, sorry, OPP detachment that's in Russell. Um, I reached out to uh, like a local community Facebook group. And what I ended up discovering is that this, um, this rural community is actually like being divided by, um, you know, COVID conspiracies and, you know, far right extremism and that kind of stuff. And most of the people in the town recognize that this stuff is, you know, just like really batshit, you know, batshit. And, um, but there's a pretty, you know, vocal, um, vocal, you know, part of the community that is uh, increasingly getting radicalized, especially during the pandemic. Um, Part of this is, um, you know, Randy Hillier, who is a, He's a, you know, former MP. Well, he's, he's a current MPP. He formerly was with uh, Doug Ford's Ontario PCs. Um, Doug Ford kicked him out of the party. He's now created his own um, independent party, which he's going to run in the next election. Uh, Part of this is that, you know, people like Randy Hillier have been doing a lot of organizing on the ground in these kinds of rural communities outside of Ottawa and in rural Ontario. Um, The other part of it is that uh, a lot of the local residents were telling me that they're getting, this uh, conspiracy newspaper called Druthers and it's just showing up in people's mailboxes. They don't know where it's coming from. Um, and then, you know, yeah, can... I'm familiar with Druthers. It gets handed out at the rallies here by, by mm. the pro convoy folks. It's just like, you know, anti vaccine, anti COVID conspiracy rag that gets yeah. handed out by volunteers. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, th- th- it was, there's just a whole bunch of things that are going on in this uh, community. And I don't think that they, what came out from to me from what I, you know, the discussions that I, I had with some of the people there um, is that I, it really doesn't sound like their local institutions are prepared to deal with the onslaught of, you know, far right organizing and, you know, the conspiracies that are coming in through these newspapers, but also obviously online. Well, that's a fantastic segue, actually, to, you know, the conversation around <laughs> <laughs> the state rapidly losing legitimacy in the face of this crisis and, you know, context. And then conversely, you know, we've seen uh, Justin Trudeau bring in the, uh, the emergencies act the very first time it's ever been invoked. And since this bill has been created and, and I assume uh, just based on, uh, you know, the reaction that you are now, you can't go more than two blocks in the city of Ottawa without having to show your papers. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, so they've set up uh, police checkpoints all across, uh, I think they're calling it the red zone. Um, so for myself, you know, just to go to the grocery store, you kind of have to, um, you know, flash your ID and tell them you're a, a local resident. It hasn't been too uh, too onerous uh, at this point, but I mean, they're obviously trying to keep out uh, additional reinforcements uh, that have that are heading towards downtown. Yeah, so Justin Trudeau brought in the Emergencies Act. You know, I'm cracking jokes. I, I think it is quite serious. And, and the reason why I think it's serious isn't because, you know, you know, it's an infringement on our civil liberties. It's it's this, that, and the other thing. The reason, you know, my analysis why it was brought in is because it, it was a signal the, to the police to do their fucking job. And in order to get the police to do their job, <laughs> instead of just like, Get the police enforcing the law as they are supposed to, and and uh, and using the laws and statutes available to them uh, for the flag to enforce and kind of crack down on the flagrant lawbreaking that has happened as a part of this convoy. Instead, our our federal liberal government saw fit to bring in the Emergencies Act, which is a bit like you know killing a fly with a hammer uh, here. At the end of the day, this is a, a policing problem. This was a fuck up by the police to let them in in the first place. It's been a fuck up by the police to not actually enforce the law and just let these people do whatever the hell they wanted for as long as it's gone on. And instead of just telling the police what to do, because apparently you can't, uh, no one is allowed to tell the police what to do. They are a law unto themselves. Uh, Justin Trudeau has to bring in the Emergencies Act. <laughs> And have Christopher Freeland say all of these things that we're going to do and and be very stern about it. And, uh, you know, that's that's uh, that's my take on the Emergencies Act. You're living through it right now. What's 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 your take? 
Uh, I mean, for me, my question is, you know, what what powers did police not have that they required through this Emergencies Act? Um, exactly. You know, like yeah. there's there are trucks parked in the, in the middle of streets. They're blaring their horns. They're sleeping there. Uh, like, do we not have laws to prevent that? Like, to me, it would be very concerning if we don't have uh, a law that prevents someone from, you know, just sleeping in their car while they're or while their horn is going for 24 hours a day. Um, you know, from legal experts that I've heard, I'm obviously not a legal expert, so I'll defer to, to them on on these things, but you know, it sounds like there were clearly enough laws for police to do, uh, their jobs prior to the emergencies act being, um, invoked. Um, I I mean, the other thing too, is, uh, like the municipal government declared a state of emergency, the provincial government declared a state of emergency, and now the federal government is doing it. It seems to me like part of this is optics and it's kind of about showing, uh, you know, that the government's serious and they're going, they're going to do something. And it's kind of addressing this perception that, um, you know, just no one was doing anything um, that might, I mean, with that said, I mean, there may be some, from what I've heard, there are like some, you know, this like frees up some additional resources in some cases or allows, uh, you know, some bureaucratic red tape to be, you know, to remove that from the equation. Um, so I, I mean, there may be some merits to some of this, but, uh, for the most part, it does seem like, you know, the question is, you know, what additional powers did they actually need? No. And and one thing that I keep talking about in the context of like, again, the, the bringing in the emergencies act, you know, it's here in the city of Edmonton, we had city council bring in an injunction to stop the honking that happens on Saturdays. Uh, these are efforts by the authorities, by the, you know, our elected officials and leadership, ostensible leadership to address what in my mind is like a a pseudo police strike. This is, this is a labor action by the police to, to simply not do their job. They are deciding to not enforce the laws selectively. It's very, it's been very clear from the beginning of this convoy occupation that like there is one set of laws in policing for them and one set of laws in policing for everybody else. And, you know, it, uh, th- this police strike doesn't look like, you know, a strike usually looks like with picket lines and signs and, and uh, you know, the labor board involved. They're just going to show up to their job and do it real half-assed. And, uh, and you know, there's, there's reasons for that, right? Obviously, like, they, the police are clearly sympathetic to the political goals of the protesters. And we have seen this, you know, we've seen multiple videos of, of, you know, police supporting these people or hugging them, you know, uh, and it's quite clear that like, you know, modern policing requires a certain amount of dehumanization of the people that you are policing, uh, you know, in order for the police to do their job. And it's quite clear that the police in this case were not able to apply that level of dehumanization to these people, roughing up these convoy people and arresting them and slamming them into the cars and throwing them into the back of a, of a, of a cop car was just simply not on the table you know, these convoy people are a lot different than, you know, intoxicated unhoused people or skinny anarchists, uh, you know, fighting for people, unhoused people in an, in an encampment in a, in a park somewhere. These, these convoy protesters look like the cops and the cops clearly sympathize. Yeah. I mean, I think my observation is I think there's probably several things going on, at least in Ottawa. I mean, maybe in Edmonton, there are different dynamics and uh, maybe you can shed some light on that. Um, for me, like, I mean, so in Ottawa, there's a couple things. So one is that, uh, Peter slowly, the former police chief who resigned, he was brought in, uh, I mean, you know, just to, you know, just to, to recognize, I mean, he was the first black, uh, police chief in Ottawa's history. He was brought in after, um, you know, there was a, a killing of a, of a, a man who was mentally, uh, you know, had mental health issues, uh, by, by police. And, uh, you know, he was sort of brought in to address some of the, uh, some of the fallout that came from, from that whole, uh, incident. And, um, you know, so there were definitely tensions between the, uh, police association in Ottawa and slowly, and that may have had some, you know, there may be some of that that was going on. Um, I mean, I don't think that police are just, you know, outright disobeying orders. That would be very serious. And I think they could actually get uh, prosecuted if there was, you know. But we, we saw that there was there was police chiefs, former police chief slowly put out a directive saying, hey, if you see people with gas cans walking by you, arrest them, take the gas cans. The OPP who were there to support the, the Ottawa Police Service decided not to enforce it. And then 
the OPS, the Ottawa Police Service officers decided not to enforce it right alongside the OPP. Like we've got this is this has happened. This has been documented. This has been reported. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, so in those cases, I mean, there's, uh, you know, when those sorts of things have happened, what the police have said is that, you know, they're outnumbered and they need more resources. And that has been a whole thing. I mean, it seems a little ridiculous to me because when you look at, for example, in Windsor, um, you know, within a day or two, they managed to clear that whole area just by, you know, showing up in, you know, a fair number of with a fair number of people and, and telling them that they would get arrested if they didn't leave. And they just sort of scattered immediately. Um, so I don't know. Anyways, it does seem like the like the response that the police have given has been that, um, you know, they felt like they didn't have enough numbers to deal with the problem. And so that's why they just sort of selectively didn't enforce it. It is, I mean, at the same time though, it's obviously not helpful for them that there's videos of, uh, you know, some police allowing people to sit in the back seats of, uh, cruisers and sort of pose for selfies, like as if they're getting arrested, like it's this like carnival, uh, carnival attraction kind of thing. Um, anyways, it's, it's a, it's a big question though, like why there wasn't, um, you know, why there wasn't more, uh, done at, like at an earlier point throughout this whole thing. Um, it has also seemed really clear that the police had no plan and, and they were just like kind of flailing for about two or three weeks. So you're on the ground there, you're in Ottawa. Do you think that this, you know, this, this idea that the, are the police rapidly losing legitimacy as an institution? You know, is, is the whole idea of like defunding the police <laughs> gathering steam as, as people have seen the incompetence of, uh, you know, in law enforcement kind of firsthand? Yeah. I mean, so uh, the first part of that question, I mean, they have, there are so many videos that have just come out that are like almost comical and absurd. Um, you know, there was this one, video recently where, uh, you know, they started towing this one pickup truck and then the guy just throws this temper tantrum. He's sitting in the, he's sitting in the truck as they're trying to tow it away. And he's just, you know, yelling at the cop and berating the cop and saying like, you know, you have no right to tell me, you know, what to do and all, and all that sort of stuff. And then I guess he just made such a fuss that they decided to let him, let him go. Um, and so you look at these videos and they're just, you know, it's just really embarrassing. Um, the saunas, I think were also another, another one that just really, uh, really made, uh, everyone scratch their heads. Um, but yeah, I you mean, know, you, yeah. you've seen dogs locked in cars. You've seen, you've got a, you, you published a story about a kid with a gas can strapped to his back. Like things are getting a yeah. little fucked up. Uh, yeah. I, and then there's like a bouncy castle on like right in front of Parliament Hill in the middle of all this. Um, you know, it's uh, I, I think I think these images have done a lot to um, erode trust in, in Ottawa police, definitely, especially amongst people who would you would not normally uh, hear uh, criticizing the police. But um, de- I mean, definitely there are a whole bunch of people on uh on Twitter, people who might be more centrist, uh, you know, kind of like these uh, more establishment kind of Ottawa, you know, Ottawa. Yeah, normie, normie liberal, normie liberal bureaucrat types. Yeah, yeah, who are just like openly talking about like defunding the police now. So, uh, you know, <laughs> the police have done a pretty good job at uh, building up some building up some uh, consensus on that issue. We've also seen some incredibly heartening scenes of resistance as well. Last weekend, there was the, the Battle of Billings Bridge, uh, which was written about in The Breach, which we will link to in the show notes, which was very dope. Uh, you know, you, you were talking to me about a, you know, a strategic shutdown of an intersection in Ottawa which uh, last weekend, which messed up the convoy and was like incredibly embarrassing and emasculating for uh, the convoy occupation people. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So, I mean, the first couple of weeks, there were no real, um, you know, resident led initiatives or, you know, kind of direct actions because people were warning, uh, you know, people were warning everyone to stay away from downtown. And I mean, it legitimately was a bit of a, you know, a safety issue. Um, A few, a few things were being organized and then there were like actual threats being made towards, uh, towards some of the organizers. You know, I think people just finally got fed up with the police in action and they started uh, taking things into their own hands last, uh, last weekend. The first one was basically down by bank in Riverside. Um, This was a route that the uh, convoy people were using to travel from the baseball stadium to downtown and uh, basically a whole bunch of residents uh, showed up, including uh, some of the uh, local city councillors and, uh, and uh, the local MPP, Joel Harden. 
um, they were, uh, they basically, uh, set up right at the intersection. And then, you know, as the, as the trucks tried to get from the logistics camp at the baseball stadium to downtown, they all kind of mobbed the, the, uh, the trucks. And they basically said, you know, we won't let you pass until you take all your ridiculous, uh, signs down from your, from your trucks and so forth. And, um, you know, that seemed like it was a pretty effective, um, action to disrupt their supply lines and to, you know, it ended up, you know, leading to all these images of, uh, you know, truckers taking down their, you know, their ridiculous, uh, fuck Trudeau flags and, uh, and (laughs) some of the, uh, stickers that they have on the sides of their vehicles. Um, yeah. And then the other one that you mentioned, so this was down by the museum of nature. Um, basically, uh, I think it was just about like 25, 30 people who blocked an intersection, but because Ottawa has this very Kafka-esque sort of one, (laughs) like every street in downtown is a one-way street to sort of regulate traffic. Um, so because of that, it's kind of hard to get around. There's only about three like real access points to downtown from the Queensway, So they placed themselves in this one intersection that was just, if you look at it on a map, it was actually just really brilliant, like a really brilliant spot to, to, um, you know, to block because it made it really hard to get downtown. Um, And by doing that, you know, it actually forced the hand of police. And then they ended up having to shut down one of the off ramps from the highway, which was allowing, you know, a lot of these people to get from their, you know, from outside of Ottawa into downtown. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think it was pretty clear that some of these actions were more effective than, uh, a lot of the stuff that police had been doing to date. Yeah. Uh, it's encouraging to see people, you know, essentially take their own safety into their own hands. I mean, as we have seen over the course of the past month, uh, you know, the police are, you know, uh, selectively applying the rule of law, you know, the rule of law, the, the thing that conservatives hold up and, 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 you know, politicians and hold up as this like sacred thing. It's, it's clearly, you know, only in place some of the time for some of the people. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's up to us to keep each other safe. And it's been incredibly encouraging to see, you know, the battle of Billings bridge and the action that you're talking about, like you can keep yourself safe. You can, um, you know, mess with the, with the convoy yeah, uh, and, in order. I mean, another thing too, is just like the images that are going around, right. Just from people who have, uh, you know, iPhones or whatever, and they're just walking around taking videos of these things. And it really has shamed the police in some cases into taking action. For example, the, uh, in Confederation park, uh, as I mentioned, where, um, you know, they start building wooden structures, uh, you know, it just took a couple of people taking photos and, and videos of like these wooden structures and some of these, uh, they had like a huge cache of uh, gas canisters and uh, and propane tanks and stuff, which was like a huge fire hazard. Um, you know, so just like a, something as simple as, you know, an image, like it really, it, it, once that gets out there, it kind of forces the hand of uh, local officials and, and police to actually do something. Yeah. And we saw this here in Edmonton where, you know, a, a small group of counter protesters, 20 to 30 people chose a specific spot to stop a, a part of the convoy. And they did so. They did so for about an hour. But uh, hilariously, the Edmonton police were there quick as a whip uh, to break up this counter protest. They mobilized uh, about uh, three big vans. They had cops with the big, long uh, crowd control nightsticks ready to go. Uh, you know, all of this to facilitate the ongoing convoy, which again disrupted uh, downtown Edmonton for the next four to five hours after the uh, the counter protest was over, uh, and and so it's 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 important to realize that like you know the, the rule of law is always going to be applied asymmetrically here. The police clearly have who they favor, and that sucks. But still, there are still efforts uh, you can take to keep each other safe, and it's incur- incredibly encouraging to see these uh, these counter uh, protests led by you know residents, people who live there. So, uh, full support to the real heroes is what I'm saying. So tell um, me, so tell me, Duncan. I know uh, as as an Easterner. Uh, I know very little about what has been going on in uh, Edmonton. Uh, how is, like, I mean, based on what I've described to you, how is how does the situation in Edmonton with some of the uh, convoy activities, how does that feel like it differs from, uh, from, uh, from Ottawa? From Ottawa, yeah. So here in Edmonton, 
uh, over the past three weekends, we have seen like convoy actions where, you know, several hundred, maybe even a thousand or so numbers are tough to come by. Uh, trucks uh, and vehicles, like some large trucks, a lot of pickup trucks, some cars, essentially like swarm downtown Edmonton. They essentially snarl traffic. They just, they come in, they bring it to a halt in many cases if their numbers are large enough. And uh, they lean on their horns and they fucking lean, just like in Ottawa, they lean on their horns, you know, for a good, essentially daylight, for, for during daylight hours. As soon as they show up until they leave, they're on their fucking horns. And, uh, and they stop traffic and they, they lean on their horns and they're about, uh, you know, in the community of Oliver, there's around 20,000 people downtown. There's about 10,000. So talking about like 30,000, Rossdale, maybe 2,000. So maybe like 35,000 people are like directly affected by this, you know, these incredibly uh, loud vehicles just leaning on their horns for several hours at a time. And so uh, in order to, to counter this disruption, because as you can imagine, people were complaining, uh, the city of Edmonton went to the trouble of getting an injunction, uh, you know, not as serious as the Emergencies Act, obviously, but they went to the trouble of getting an injunction and this injunction said, hey, if you're if you're leaning on your horn, you could be charged. Bad things could happen to you. I, I'm paraphrasing, of course. And uh, and that was just before last weekend. And the Edmonton police, in their fine wisdom, decided to essentially ignore it. The same protest happened, you know, several hours, uh, you know, during daylight hours of, of, of this kind of cacophony. And the Edmonton police handed out nine whole tickets for noise. Uh, I believe 60, 70 tickets total. Uh, again, there was, there was far more than nine instances of, of people honking their horns. And so again, you have the police selectively deciding what laws to enforce, uh, applying, uh, you know, the rule of law to some people and not to others, you know, as we saw with the counter demonstration. And there has been some, uh, political fallout here in Edmonton. We have seen the police chief having to go to the trouble of explaining himself for the throwing this kind of press conference where... Uh, everything, uh, essentially it was like a congratulatory, we're doing a great job. And if you're complaining, you're, you suck, uh, press conference, which is a really interesting tack to take by a police chief, but really kind of par for the course, uh, with the, the kind of current police chief and his, his, uh, his communication style, which was very funny. You got, you got the opportunity to ask him a question, didn't you? Yes, I did show up to this press conference and I did ask him, hey, are you going to enforce the law? And he was like, uh, that's just your opinion uh, and we don't like your opinion. I'm paraphrasing, of course. If, if you want to go see it, it's very easily. You can go to the Progress Alberta Twitter account. Uh, but yeah, he was kind of very curt and dismissive and he clearly has incredibly thin skin and doesn't like any kind of pushback on his narrative. Or, and, you know, I've gotten into it with the police chief before and he clearly uh, doesn't like me and doesn't like the fact that our, our journalistic outfit exists. Like it took months and months of kind of like work and negotiations to actually like get them to recognize us as like an official news outlet and to like send us uh, their press releases and to like let us participate in their press conferences and stuff. Uh, surely, uh, as a fellow journalist, Luke, you can appreciate that it would be incredibly problematic for the police to decide uh, who is and isn't legitimate media, which is like something they actually were like, we don't believe you're legitimate media. I found when I watched that video clip of you asking the uh, police chief the question, I was really surprised. He said something to the effect of uh, he basically said that, you know, you were offering an opinion, not a question or something, but you were actually clearly asking a question. Um, it was like, almost like the implication was that you had to ask the question a certain way. Um, it was just really like bizarre to me. Yeah, he, yeah, it was, it was a bizarre exchange. Uh, and to people who are not aware of the dynamic between the chief and I, I wonder what people think because yeah, it's certainly, he certainly like comes off as like incredibly dismissive of like, what was a, what was a tough question? Like, it, it's not like I was out there th lobbing him softballs, but like I can't remember recall the exact language of my question, but it was it was it was a hard question. Like, dude, you get paid how hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Every once in a while, a fucking jerk like me is going to step up to a microphone and ask you a question that might not be the like phrased in the most particular way that to your liking. You know, like like deal with it, man. Yeah, no, it it kind of reminded me. I mean, from my experiences of uh, dealing with, um, you know, dealing with. Uh, conservatives in Alberta, uh, there is really like a, a culture, uh, like a different culture when it comes to, 
uh, I don't know. It's almost like this, this, this attitude of, of like, they feel like they're above being questioned or they think that mm-hmm. they're owed this certain, like a certain level of deference or something. It's, it's very odd. And he, and uh, based on reporting that progress uh, Alberta has done, we know that, you know, chief McPhee has attended UCP fundraisers in the past, or at least one, uh, the UCP uh, T-Rex Derby, which happened at a racetrack outside of Lacombe, Alberta, where UCP MLAs, uh, dressed up in T-Rex costumes and raced each other and, and they bet on it and all the proceeds went to the, the UCP party. That was the T-Rex, that was the fundraiser that Chief McPhee attended with a, uh, a friend of his who runs an ankle bracelet company. Uh, yeah, again, original reporting from us. I don't know if you saw that, Luke. but He I, I wasn't like the T-Rex. one who was dressed up as a T-Rex, was he? He was not dressed up as a T-Rex, though. Okay. So those were UCP MLAs dressed up as T-Rex. Oh, okay. That's um, better. That's better. Yeah, that's that's much, much better. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the following day here in Edmonton, after that police chief press conference, we had uh, the Edmonton Police Commission hold their monthly public meeting that they're kind of obligated to hold uh, under the kind of terms of the legislation that these things exist under. And I know in Ottawa, we've seen drama at the police board as well. Uh, the Ottawa Police Board has kind of like been turned into this uh, political football by uh, the mayor, who is uh, oh my God. seems yeah. to be incredibly unpopular right now. I, like, I really cannot emphasize enough to your Alberta listeners how much they need to go on YouTube and watch an Ottawa municipal um, uh, council meeting that happened a few days ago. It is just wild. There were multiple people crying. Um, Jim Watson tried to, the mayor, Jim Watson, uh, former liberal, uh, Ontario liberal, uh, cabinet minister, uh, tried to purge Well, he did purge the, uh, the p- police board, all, all the counselors who were on it and, uh, replace them with his loyalists. One of which was a person who had previously, um, like basically blamed, uh, quote unquote, non-whites for criminal activity in her suburban community um it was just really wild i mean you don't need to know anything about ottawa municipal politics it's just like you know people crying everywhere and yelling at each just human drama at a grand scale yeah it's it's really because there's like 24 fucking counselors or something (laughs) yes mass hysteria people breaking into tears it's like game of thrones too like for whatever reason there's about like a dozen different factions on ottawa city council and they're all just kind of there's just so many different grudges that are playing out. But yeah, so this this police police commission meeting happened the day after this police uh, chief uh, held his press conference. And uh, and yeah, so the public shows up and about eight or nine, maybe even 10 people show up and they're like, yo, uh, could you do your fucking job, please? Is essentially how I would summarize the tone of, of uh, their messages uh, that they were sending to the police commission, which is ostensibly, you know, much like the Ottawa police board. This is, this is the civilian oversight. This is the body that gets to tell the police what to do. And they are the group. They are able to write policy. They, they determine who the police chief is. They can fire the police chief at any time and hire a new one if they so desired. And they're able to write policy that the police must follow. This is, this is the way we are, we control our police. And, um, and hilariously the chair of uh, the police commission. So the person who runs the meetings, the like the highest profile person, this, this uh, guy named John McDougall, he wrote an op-ed that appeared in the Edmonton Journal the, the day of uh, Police Chief McPhee's um, uh, disastrous press conference. And essentially it's like, the police are doing a great job and we stand behind them and we probably shouldn't question them either because it's a very hard job. And uh, that's, it was like, a, it was an embarrassingly like pro-cop op-ed. And so I show up to this police commission meeting, I direct my question and it's like, is, is he like, you're supposed to be impartial as the police commission. Like, didn't he just violate the code of conduct? And, uh, you know, the, the, the person who's answering the question is kind of like dissembling. It's like, Oh, you know, people have on the commission have different opinions. And it's like, well, he's the chair. Like the way this thing is set up, like he's the official spokesperson. He speaks for all of you. And uh, this other commissioner speaks up and say, he speaks for us. He's doing a great job and we love him. I I mean, I'm paraphrasing again here. Uh, And, um, you know, his op-ed was fantastic. And it's like, well, okay. Like if if all, you know, I have sources that say he didn't tell anybody on everybody on the commission about this, that they saw it when uh, they saw the op-ed when it was published in the Edmonton journal and not before. And uh, so, yeah, so like, it's interesting to see these ostensible, you know, these police boards, these police commissions kind of like, you know, they're, they're not effective oversight bodies and they never have been. They're creatures of the police chief. They're creatures of, of senior police administration and they've been largely 
bodies. They're, they're bodies that don't do much. They're there to like approve the budget and uh, back up the police when they kind of need backup as the, you know, the, the sensible civilian oversight. So it's interesting to see the legitimacy of those organizations fail as well. Do you know off the top of your uh, off the top of your head what the backgrounds are of the uh, police board in in Edmonton in Ottawa and in because we did some we did a look into this uh, a year or two ago and you know it was like a lot of it was really interesting it was a lot of kind of small business like local business community type leaders um, like I mean obviously there are provincial appointees who are just kind of like patronage appointments and then there's city councillors and then you have these like community members who are just like random people from the chamber of commerce and it's really bizarre like when you start looking at it, you just realize um, I mean the people who are on these things are just clearly you know just loyalists of the, there are like random business people on the commission there the chair is this like ex-military guy uh the vice chair is like he's a he's a guy who runs like a like a homeless services organization um yeah there are like random business people and lawyers on it there are like some like community activists on it but again like none of them were asking questions uh of the of the police chief when he was kind of going on his like chief's report like the, the only people who were asking questions uh were the two city councilors that sit on the police commission and like and it's not like they were asking super tough questions either but yeah. like they were the only people who spoke up right 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 but i think i think we're coming to the end of our chat here uh luke i want to thank you for you know the the boots on the ground reporting that you've done you know coming on the podcast what now that we've kind of sat down and thought about and talked about this for you know the past 45 minutes what what have you taken away from this like three week going on four week occupation? Like what, what are you, what are you struck by as, you know, images uh, of cops, um, you know, arresting people kind of roll in now? Oh God. I know there's probably several things. Uh, one, one thing is, I mean, I think it's really clear to me um, that, you know, I don't think, not just police, but I think, you know, law enforcement or any kind of authorities, like they really don't take the threat of right wing extremism very seriously. Um, and obviously there's like a whole bunch of different reasons for that, probably because, you know, in some cases, you know, a lot, I mean, a lot of the people who are in the convoys and whatever, they're often cut from the same kind of cloth as the people, you know, in, in the police themselves. Um, so, you know, there's some unconscious bias uh, or maybe conscious bias in these sorts of situations. Um, but I mean, beyond that, like, I really don't think that they take the threat. Like, I mean, Ottawa has essentially been under a far right occupation for three weeks going on to four weeks right now. And it like even as police are moving in, I mean, from what I've seen, it does not look like they are treating this as seriously as it probably ought to be. I mean, in, in, uh, Coutts, um, if I'm pronouncing it's Coutts, Coutts, Coutts. My, my apologies. Um, in Coutts, I mean, there are like, there's a whole cache of weapons and, and people associated with the Diagalon movement. Um, you know, just some really extreme kind of militia type stuff. And it just seems like they are not taking that kind of stuff seriously. Um, so that'd be my, one of my big, uh, takeaways. Uh, breaking news oh. from my mom. Okay. Uh, before before uh, I uh, jumped on this podcast with you, I was talking to my mom, actually, and I was like, hey, uh, if Pat King gets arrested, can you text me? And she did text me a few minutes ago. Uh, Pat King has been arrested. Uh, it was apparently unremarkable. Uh, he wasn't like th- slammed into the car or beaten. Uh, so there you go. One of the main, wow. one of the more notable. breaking news. Yeah, one of the more notable uh, organizers and voices of uh, this far right convoy occupation thing uh, has finally has finally been arrested. So there you go. I will be uh, interested to see that when I'm finally done recording. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think my biggest takeaway from this, Luke, is that yes, the state has simply lost a ton of legitimacy. Um, you know, one of the ways that states demonstrate their legitimacy to the people is by handling and dealing with crisis and the the state in this case simply did not do so they let the situation escalate they did not enforce the law and and their kind of hypocrisy and this selective application of the rule of law really got people fucking pissed off and you know there's you know defund the police you know abolitionists like these movements exist 
But I think there is going to be a lot of wind in the sails of people who are critical of police. Whether that extends to full-on abolition, you know, it's it's a, it's a spectrum. But the police as the like the legitimate arm of the state that's enable that is deputized to enact violence on everyone on behalf of the state when and if when necessary, like people have just seen that it's all bullshit. And uh, you know, as someone you you have chronicled my descent into anarchism. <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, you know, I think more people are, are thinking this, right? Like it's, this is, this is a delegitimizing event and can the state recover? I mean, states are very hardy. They're very, um, you know, able to take criticism and, and improve in the future. Uh, but I think real damage has been done here. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's my biggest takeaway. You know what? I, another thing is like, I don't think people really, until you live through something like this, I don't think it is obvious how fragile, um, like our institutions are and like order itself. Like, you know, this could have easily, you know, if people had weapons in, in Ottawa and were just like openly displaying them, I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing that could have turned into a into a civil war or like, you know, what what you would sort of think of as a civil war in some of these situations. And it's uh, I don't I don't think people quite appreciate just how, uh, you know, fragile that all is. Agreed. Luke, uh, how can people follow along with your work on the Internet, the fantastic work you do at Press Progress? Well, they can find my work at the uh, web URL www.pressprogress.ca. Um, and as well, I'm on Twitter, uh, the app symbol, an underscore symbol, and then L LeBron. Yeah. I follow Luke's account on Twitter. He's does, he's done a great job, uh, kind of documenting some of the on the ground stuff that other reporters and institutions have not, uh, kind of getting off the beaten path uh, a little bit. And, uh, you know, the, they also do great work at press progress. So, so please follow them. Uh, if you have any notes, thoughts, comments on this podcast or any of the other work I do, I am also very easy to reach. I am on Twitter at Duncan Kinney. Uh, you can reach me by email at duncank at progressalberta.ca. If uh, you like the work that we do, uh, please support us. There'll be a link. There is a link in the show notes. You know, click it, put in your credit card, $5, 10 $15 a month, whatever you can afford. It really helps us out. Uh, if you have other ways of wanting to donate, again, yeah, you can reach me by Twitter or the email account. I just gave you uh thanks to jim story for editing this podcast as always uh thanks to cosmic famu communist for our theme thank you for listening and goodbye